previously on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That was the morning that Jose had come into Sanctuary at the church. What I remember most about that day was the, the feeling of satisfaction that whatever was unfolding, it felt like we were doing the right thing. It, it's not about the worthwhileness of the person you help. It's about the love that you've received from God, that you reflect out. So his goodness is just a bonus. That's just the icing, because he deserves everything we have to give regardless. Week by week, we're telling this story about Sanctuary in downtown Seattle through the voices of the people involved. On this episode, we talk with an immigration attorney and an immigration counselor to try and break down some of the common misunderstandings surrounding immigrants. But first, let's look at something that's pretty simple for most of us, but a bit more complicated when you're in sanctuary and can't leave, as is the case for Jose. Getting a haircut. My name is Dylan Schacht. I am a hairstylist here in Seattle. Um, I've been doing hair for almost 10 years, 10 years in March. Um, yeah, I've kind of hopped all up and down the West Coast my whole career and hoping Seattle's the place I stick around for a while. How did you become a hairstylist? So my older sister's a hairstylist. Um, she kind of just talked me into it. My junior year in high school, I was kind of like not the best kid. You know, I um, didn't go to school a lot and just, you know, wasn't really doing my work. And so um, my senior year, I went to kind of like a catch-up school. And um, part of the program was you either started a trade or had a job. So yeah, my sister and my dad actually talked me into doing that. And so by the time I graduated high school, I was already a licensed stylist working in a shop, so. How did you get involved? So, um, through Carrie, she, um, I've been cutting her hair now for probably close to a year, I think, which is crazy. But, um, you know, she just kind of would talk about, like, um, her involvement and the things that she was doing. And then one day she just asked me if I'd mind coming down and doing a haircut. And I said, sure. And yeah, then I just kind of continued. I love the community aspect of all that. Jose reminds me a lot of um, part of my family. So I don't know him super well, but just like his family dynamic and all of that reminds me of home a little bit. So I think that's kind of what draws me back. And it's nice to do something nice for someone, you know, even if they're like a stranger. Anything else you'd like to share with us? I'm not sure. Well, I hope the sanctuary movement keeps doing what they're doing fighting the good fight. Um, I hope the end of all this comes soon. We're here with Nandini and Jana from Lutheran Community Services. Nandini is an immigration staff attorney and program manager, and Jana is an immigration counselor. Why don't we start by having you tell us about uh, how this became your career? Let's start with Nandini. Um, for me, I've always been interested in immigration law. Um, that's why I went to law school. Um, I am the daughter of immigrants, so I have a 
personal connection to it and I, have, I find immigration law very interesting. Um, it just took me a while to get into it. I did other, I practiced in other areas of the law, but I love the client interaction. You know, um, to be able to meet with people from a diverse background and whose immigration stories are very different from my parents' uh, story. You know, they, they weren't refugees, they weren't asylees. Um, I just like hearing, I, I love the client interaction. How about for you, Jonna? I've always been interested in human rights um, and wasn't looking for any particular avenue to, to work in the field, but kind of stumbled across um, refugee resettlement when I was living in Denver. I didn't even know what it was. And I started working as a refugee resettlement case manager and I just fell in love with the work. Um, resettlement is more on the social services side of things, but most uh, refugee resettlement agencies also have legal service providers attached to them in some way. And then I got involved with that once I came, uh, once I moved to Seattle. Most people probably don't know that your offices are actually located uh, in Gethsemane Lutheran Church. I'm curious what it's like to share space with someone in sanctuary. It's new to me. I certainly have yeah. never, I mean, I've worked in a, uh, churches before, but I've never worked anywhere that where someone was in sanctuary. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting and new. Mm -hmm. I've never worked in uh, a non-office setting, so everything is new to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I he we moved into the church, um, and five days later, Jose uh, moved in, and so it's yeah, it's been it's been interesting, you know. It's um, it's di it's difficult to think that you know he hasn't left here in six months. You know, I we get to go home after a right, long day. Right. Um, but he's here, you know, and I commend him for his, you know, optimism and, and you know, just, and his family, yeah. you know. And for the church, it's amazing what they've been able to do for him and hopefully will be able to do for him mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, it's such a microcosm of things that are happening around the country right now. And I mean, for me, it kind of brings, really does bring it home, you know, it's one thing to be working with, um, you know, new refugee families and see it from that perspective, but it's another thing to see it from the perspective of someone who, you know, is essentially captive, mm -hmm. you know, in our free country. Mm -hmm. It's a new way of looking at things. Okay, uh, so I have to admit that I'm a little bit um, ignorant about the process that immigrants and refugees go through to get to the U.S. Um, that being said, I constantly hear statistics that I know are just flat out not true. Not true. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear those? The news? Yeah. <laughs> yes. People talking on the news? Yes. <laughs> Since you're so involved, that must be pretty, pretty frustrating. Oh man. <laughs> what, are, <laughs> what are some of the biggest misconceptions? That there's no vetting for refugees, I would say, is a really big one. That there's mm -hmm. no vetting for people coming into the country as refugees. Um, you know, that the asylum process is simple, that we're just, you know, handing out benefits to people, that people, you know, get a lot of help from the government. It's just not true. None right. of those things are true. And you know, with family reunification, you know, the, the misconception is that you can bring, an immigrant can bring any number of relatives, right. regardless of the degree, you know, second cousins, third cousins, that people can just bring whoever over, and that's not the case, that's not true. Um, and so I think those have been the biggest misconceptions. Mm -hmm. Definitely, the idea of chain migration is mm -hmm. not, that's not a real thing. 
you know, there's very specific relationships that you have to have. Um, and if you don't have a qualifying relationship with a U.S. citizen, then you're going to find yourself waiting years and years and years to reunite with your family member. Let's talk about asylum, since it's uh, been in the news a lot lately. Um, help me understand how that process works. Um, well, you can do it, uh, you know, from a port of entry. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about that, and and then, you know, there's 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 a lot of circumstances under which somebody would apply for asylum. But you can do it if you're here. Let's say you're here on a on a student visa or a visitor visa. You know, you have every right within that first year of you being in the United States to apply for asylum if you have a case. Um, and right now there's a backlog of something like 700,000 yeah. cases mm -hmm. and a shortage of judges to adjudicate those cases. I mean, just regular, what we consider <laughs> regular immigration benefits as far as like green cards, naturalization, things like that, take a really long time in and of themselves. And, you know, somebody who's applied for asylum, you know, especially if they applied a few years ago, they might be waiting quite a few years. There's, there's a new policy where um, that they call first, uh, first in, first out, essentially that, or I'm sorry, last in, first out, um, that they're going to start adjudicating those cases faster if they came in more recently. Uh, but the backlog stuff is going to stay mm -hmm. backlog. And meanwhile, you know, you're, you're struggling looking for, you know, you do get a, a work permit after your case has been pending for long enough. Um, so eventually you, you get that and you can find a job, but there's so many services that you don't qualify for. It doesn't give you any status, you know, you're, you're an asylum applicant and that doesn't come with much. That would probably be contrary to popular belief. Right. Contrary to popular Absolutely. belief, exactly. I think most believe people use asylum to avoid a longer uh, complicated process. Right, That's and that they're right. actually just looking for work permits, which is why they have this new policy, because they're just assuming that a lot of people are applying just for the work permits, um, which is, of course, not necessarily the case. There's always people that are going to take advantage of the system, but, I mean, considering the state of the world right now, it's not hard to believe that more and more people, if they can get here, would be asking for asylum. Asylum, exactly, yeah. Okay, so let's say that asylum is granted. What's next? What does success look like? Um, to be able to integrate into society, I think, to, to be as successful as the people around you, to have the same opportunities as the people around you and not be isolated. I mean, you hear about, uh, you know, issues in France right now with the, you know, the large refugee camps in Paris and the fact that they haven't been able to integrate populations of people. And, you know, I mean, they're experiencing a, a much bigger influx of people than, than we are at any given time. But, I mean, I think that's something to be proud of. And it's something that we do as Americans identify ourselves as, mm -hmm. you know, as, as the melting pot, as being welcoming. I love that analogy of the melting pot. I have to imagine that a lot of people would agree with that on a basic level, but at some point fear kind of takes over. So how do we overcome that? Oh gosh, that's, um, I mean, I would like people to be more aware. I think that, you know, with not just with immigration, well, primarily with immigration, but just people are ignorant you know um, they read stuff or they hear stuff and they believe it and they've never talked to an asylum seeker they've never talked to a refugee they don't know what that life is like what how much they struggle 
Um, so yeah, I wish that people would be a little bit more aware and take the initiative of being more open-minded. How do we do that? I, I, I guess volunteering somewhere and getting directly involved would be the obvious answer, but I guess I'm wondering what are some other ways? Reading, um, talking to refugees, talking to people who do that type of work. I think it starts from there. Um, because I think what happens a lot of times is that you know, you're know you fed something, you see something on the news, you believe it. If people scare you enough into thinking something, you're gonna believe that. And I think it's just, to me, it's always been about increasing awareness, mm -hmm. you know? Um, this is, a, you know, I, I got into immigration law later in my career, and so um, it's been very eye-opening for me. I didn't know what life is like in a refugee camp. I, you know, I don't know what life, how tough life is for a refugee when they first arrive here. And I think it's just talking to people and really being compassionate, open-minded, you know, I think that that is where you start, you know. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I think, you know, one of the best things that you can do actually is volunteering if you find a, a local refugee mm -hmm. resettlement agency. And I think it's, you know, it's just um, sort of mysterious how this works and most people have never heard of a refugee resettlement agency, but that, you know, that is one of the best ways that you could educate yourself is if you were to get involved with a resettlement agency, you know, maybe uh, so that you can help one family, you know, even picking people up at the airport, you know, things that I talked about before, um, you know, just, just to sort of be in the experience with someone, mm -hmm. you know, gives you a better understanding. Next time on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That has been one of the very inspiring things to see uh, in response to things like the Muslim travel ban, in response to the family separation policy, the zero tolerance policy, uh, in response to hate, uh, hate groups coming to town. Uh, really, that has been beautiful to see people of different faith traditions coming together uh, and really standing for what's right, really making a moral voice, a united moral voice against a lot of these injustices that are happening in our country. Uh, I am always happy when I see faith in action that way. Uh, so it's been beautiful to see and it's part of what inspires me in the work that I do. Sanctuary in downtown Seattle is produced by Seekers Northwest, along with the Church Council of Greater Seattle.